Welcome to Pure's Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando on episode 163. You can't even get through the intro. I'm laughing. just laughing because right before we started, I'm like, this is episode 163. I'm like, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, well, let's just roll with it. It's 163. 163. Anybody who's just listening for the first time is like, who are these guys? And have turned us off already. But I hope you didn't because we got a great episode for you today because we are doing uh, our final uh, the final section, the final review of our uh, Level Up review, which is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And this has been a great book. It's been one of those books that's been inspiring to like change the way I'm spending money because um, a lot of the principles like we've talked about in the past are things that I, I've already learned. And it was kind of nice because when I was, I don't know, I want to say I was like 21, 22 years old, I ran across some some YouTube videos that were all on value investing. And it was like a whole series. And it was basically teaching the Warren Buffett method and how he learned from like Franklin Graham and um, just the way he kind of um, developed his wealth. And then it got me really interested. And I was like, man, I want to learn more about Warren Buffett. So I started like reading a bunch of his essays and like his biography and all of these things to kind of learn like how did money work? And so these were a lot of principles, the idea of like buying assets and things that I was really into. Um, in fact, I, I spent a bunch of money early and I've actually pulled all of that out by now, but, you know, using programs like uh, Lending Tree or Lending Club where you, uh, you know, you buy notes, which is like somebody else is getting a loan and you're basically buying like a, a fraction of their loan and you oh, get you a percentage. That? Oh yeah. I mean, oh, man, I, I remember made, those days. I made a ton of money on that. I mean, I still have, have a, a, an account and I'm making some money, but I've already sold most of my notes. Um, but I was really into like, I need to buy assets. And then life happened and I got busy and I fell into the trap that he talks about in this book, the middle-class trap of work harder for money instead of making money work for you. And I just think like, man, where would I be if I stuck to those principles? A lot of the things, I mean, I was able to get a lot of my debt paid off and Mike, all those. Oh, you surprised me. You're like a Renaissance man. Like anytime I bring up something, he's like, oh yeah, I know how to, what, what, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a jack of all trades kind of guy. I, uh, I, I learned like I have a, like a, a passion for learning new things. So I learn, but then I don't always put it into action. One of the things he even talks about in this section we're going to read here is kind of that the that's the biggest thing that holds people back is they might learn something, they might go to a seminar, they might read a book, but they're not actually acting. And so um, one of the things, I guess right off the bat, like in the comments below, let us know um, what are some of maybe your, your successes or lessons you've learned as far as learning something and then did you actually act on it? Maybe it's from one of our level up reviews or a book that you've read. Um, and did you actually implement it? Or have you kind of sat on it and like, man, I should have implemented that, but I never did. I know the principle, but I didn't actually implement it. Uh, because that self-reflection is good and, and you can maybe share your successes. Like I learned this when I read 4-Hour Workweek. I learned this when I read this and I did it and it helped. Or I learned the five-second rule, but I never actually applied it. So you still got to put that book up there. Which one? The five second rule. Do we have it up there? I think so. No, I don't think it's up there. No, you need to bring a copy. I, I, I it's did, in my car. I did PDF of it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we're doing chapters seven, eight, and nine. So um, yeah, these were good chapters. Chapter seven was called Overcoming Obstacles. What did you think about so, it? So I, I, listen, I'm thoroughly enjoying this book. I, and I'll explain later on as to the practical applications of it. And it's one of those, like, you talk about you did these different options and so on. So I'm the other side. And I don't know. I'll, I'll reflect later. I think I'm poor dad until today. Mm. But uh, I always knew how to work hard. Mm. Like, whenever I needed to make money, like, I I'm, I was a little different. Like, he always talks about how can, how can we afford it, right? Yeah. One of his things is, like, if if, you know, poor dad always said we can't afford that. Rich dad always said, how can we afford it, right? How can we make it happen? And it's interesting because... 
when we read Total Money Makeover, which is our next level up review book, Dave Ramsey is like, you can't afford it. Don't buy it. Right. Yeah. Which is good if you're already in debt and you're already at a place where um, and I think actually, if you think about his principle of like, you can't afford it, don't buy it. What he's really saying is his big motto that he says all the time is live like nobody else now so that you can live, live like, like them, nobody yeah. else later. Right. So he is saying, how can I afford it? Well, I can afford it by paying off all my debt and saving up and, and buying it later on in life without having any debt. Right. Like, so he's kind of getting the same thing, but yeah, a little I think they agree. Principle. I think if we, they had lunch together mm -hmm. on, or we interviewed him at the same time, here's a podcast. I, I, I think they, they would say the same thing. I really, I really do. Cause Robert uh, Kiyosaki is very big on like limiting your expenses, right? Reducing it. So instead you're putting your money into assets in instead of more liabilities. Now I, I say all that, because as, I, as I'm reading this, I'm looking at some of this and I'm like, okay, this makes sense because I've never, anybody I know that's been wealthy, like I've never been wealthy. I've been okay. And, and what I mean is in my house growing up, right? And not my house, like where I grew up, but my house that I ran with my, you know, when I was married and I had kids and everything, I always was like, we can't afford it. But then as I, that was my, like my first two years. Cause first two years out of college, man, being like married, major debt, like it was bad. It was really bad. But then I began to re recognize that you could always have side hustles, but my side hustles weren't like eBay or Amazon or stock market. It was like, I'll just get a job here. Mm. I'll just get a job there. And it was always like working hard, working hard. And I worked hard and I still work hard. The problem I'm finding is that I only know how to work hard and I don't know how to do these other things. And so this book is really challenging to me. And we'll talk about some of those things because I'm sure I'm not the only one that the only time that your eyes were opened up to being able to make money in a different way was when you started reselling. Like that really opened up my eyes. And now that I'm full time, I'm like, I, I'm never going to work for anybody else. Like that's I, I, I don't understand why you would now not saying I wouldn't go back. But I just don't understand. Yeah. And even going with that, like one of the things that's interesting about reselling and the, just the side hustle, because I mean, Pure Hustle podcast, like our whole concept is like you can find other hustles and make money. Yes. The problem is that is so many of our listeners and us included have that mindset of like, man, I can work really hard and I know how to work hard and I can make a bunch of money, but you're still working for money. And so the key, what the, 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 the icing on the cake, the end goal shouldn't just be to work hard to make more money, but it should be work hard to make more money so that you can buy assets that make you even more money, right? Like that should be the idea. So, so don't just work hard and build a business that you're working even harder to keep running, but find a way that you can do that. And in the process, you're building another business that's kind of almost autonomous. It's running on its own, whether it's through stocks or whether it's through real estate or something else that by the time you're done, you're like, I've worked so hard and I made all this money. And I also have three houses and a huge stock portfolio and, you know, fill in the blank X amount of gold next, all these assets that are constantly making me money and not just now I just have this big business that I have to keep running, keep running, keep running. No, agreed. Agreed. And, and this might be just the beginning stages. I mean, who knows, you know, a year or two from now, Pure podcast might, might be different. Yeah. You know, I think we'll so, you know, at our core will always be about reselling. But who knows? I mean, this is this is what our books that we read are about, right? Leveling up. So real quick, 
Wait, before oh. you get before you get oh. to that, so just the, the I can't even get into the chapter yet. Well, because I just want to introduce the chapter. So the, the chapter is overcoming obstacles, and he lists five obstacles that that you need to overcome uh, in order to be successful and build wealth and assets. And and those are fear, cynicism, laziness, bad habits, and arrogance. All right, ready, go. <laughs> talk about whichever one you want to talk about. So no. which one of these are you talking about? So I, I, the very first part. I mean, he's very he's very big on the, the idea of overcoming fear. Okay. Right, and I like what he said though because. You know, I don't see myself as a fearful. Can I, why can't I say fearful? Fearful person. You did it. I did it. <laughs> it took me slow. Hooked on phonics worked for me. So he says, we're all heroes at something and cowards at something else. So he gives the example, right? He says, you know, my friend's wife is an emergency room nurse. When she sees blood, she flies into action. When I mention investing, she runs away. When I see blood, I don't run. I pass out. And it's so true because I think a lot of us, why we're stuck, even in reselling, like why don't, why don't some of us do Amazon knowing that we can make some good money doing Amazon? Why don't some of us, you know, try to learn new niches? Same thing. Why haven't some of us invested in the stock market? Why aren't we looking at real estate? And I think part of it is, is that we know how to be a hero on certain things. And we're scared that we may not be able to do the same in others. And this was a time of self-reflection for me. I remember reading this going, is that why I haven't jumped into other business propositions? You know, I, and in the past, and, you know, Mike and I were even talking about business before this, about some opportunities. In the past, I had people say, hey, Orlando, take a look at this. And I always ran because I'm like, I don't know enough. I'm safe. I'm happy where I'm at. Like, I, you know, I don't trust people and it's risky. Right. And so this spoke to me because it's like, okay, it's not that I'm a fearful person is that I have to learn and I have to educate myself more because Later on, he also says, and I've never met someone rich who has never lost money. And that's so important to me to understand that because I've always believed that, you know, you should always win every single time. And if you lose, you, you should just give up. But what, I'm, what I've learned when I've become a reseller and we've connected with so many entrepreneurs, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs we've either had personal conversations with or we just learn through the reselling community and social media or through some books that we've read that have completely failed at stuff, mm. right? Over and over and over again. I mean, I, I was just the other day, I was, I was watching an individual talk about how they were doing like private label and it took them to item 30 to finally get it right. Now, that's risky. Like that's thousands upon thousands of dollars an individual left. And now this person's wealthy. Now, whether that's the whole story, I don't know, but I see that pattern. So it began, it began this thought process in me going, okay, have I been too scared? Have I enjoyed my safe money for too long? And maybe I need to be willing to lose more. I don't know. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, one of the things he, he kind of talks about here, um, he mentions um, that one of the things Rich Dad would say is if you hate risk and worry, start early, right? So if you're a risk averse person and you want to get into stocks, you want to you know, build up retirement, get some assets, but you don't want to take on risks, you got to start young. And if you're not starting young, oh, you've got a lot, you got, you got a bigger uphill battle to face. Um, but a big part of this whole section is almost like the idea we've kind of talked about in the past. Um, and, and I kind of, you know, made multiple notes in here um, that kind of go on to this idea, but it's almost like that growth mindset for winners, losing inspires them for losers, losing defeats them. And it's really just that mindset of, um, it's okay to fail, but you want to fail smartly, right? You want to fail in a way where you're failing forward, that you're learning from your mistakes and you're, you're growing and you're not just, you know, 
being, you know, insane. <laughs> you don't want to be that gambler that keeps going to, and the house wins every time. No, yeah, saying. you don't want to be insane and keep doing something that's that's Agreed. causing you to fail over and over and over, but you want to grow from it. Um, and one of the things he says that I really liked, um, probably the, the highlight of, I, I think, this fear section, because I think all of us can kind of relate to that, of the idea of, you know, if you want to, do well. If you want to succeed, you can't be afraid of failures. You've got to be willing to fail, but fail forward. You've got to be willing to make mistakes. And if you're so, he, he makes other comments that, you know, most people who, who fail at being rich is because they're afraid of losing money. Um, but you can't win if you don't play, right? It's kind of the concept in this whole, this whole chapter. If, if you're too afraid of making, uh, losing money, you'll never make money. Um, not to say that everybody who loses money will make money, but you can't make money without taking on the risk of losing money. But the part that I think that kind of is, is the, the takeaway for the fear section for me of these five, uh, was this was if you have a little, if you have little money and you want to be rich, you must first be focused, not balanced. And the idea is so many people try and kind of go safely and have the safety net. And he is not like a get rich quick kind of guy. He talks, you know, openly against that. But his thing is, you got to be focused and not balanced. So instead of trying to like, I'm just going to invest in the safest things possible and just slow and steady and put into a savings account and these things, which is, he's not like saying, don't do those things, but don't let that be your primary. And, and so he's saying, be focused and actually learn something. So if you're like, you know what, I want to get into the stock market and I'm willing to like get into some small cap stocks and some businesses that are just starting up and I kind of want to be an angel investor and I want to take on some real estate. He's saying, be focused and don't just do it ignorantly. Spend hours and hours and hours reading books, going to seminars, learning as much as you can, researching the companies. Because yeah, you're going to be afraid to lose. But if you go in with as much knowledge as possible and you're focused, then you have a much more likely chance of succeeding. And if you fail, you can learn from it and keep going. Whereas if you're just like, I'm just going to try this thing and you fail at it because you didn't prepare and you weren't focused and you were trying to be balanced or you just were being ignorant, then, then that's a bad thing. So the whole idea from the fear here is you can't win if you don't play, but don't play foolishly play intelligently learn become financially literate learn about investing learn about these things and until you actually understand them well enough and that doesn't mean you have to like go get a doctorate's degree in it but spend like instead of watching netflix all night spend that time you know watching some youtube videos on investing read a couple of investing books read some stock market you know newspaper articles and then say you know what i think there's something happening here and i'm willing to i i i feel confident that if I fail, I've at least done my research and I'll learn a lesson. And what I'm getting from this, like the younger, the better. Mm. Like I've never, you know, Mike and I go back and forth about this, but, and we've talked about the Robin Hood app, mm -hmm. right? And like, there's a lot of people that don't like the Robin Hood app because it's, 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 you know, pump and dump. Like it's, it's literally, you have swaths of population that are investing and create, creating like this craze on a stock and it goes up. And then that day they're dumping on that stock and they're taking all that money out. Now, other people are saying like, this is great. I'm on the side, like this is incredible. And then the reason I say this is because I think we're in this, you know, Tim Ferriss talks about the new rich, right? I really think we're, we're in an area of the new rich because I, I, and I will agree. I mean, Robert Kiyosaki says, start young. Those of you that are younger that are listening to us in your early twenties, maybe in your late teens, like if there's ever a time to educate yourself right now and take those risks, I would say, now I am really impressed. I mean, I've I've been <laughs> I've been all over social media and I'm seeing like high schoolers that are like 18, like in making major investments and day trading. And I'm not saying that's the way to be wealthy, but I've seen some of their stock picks like in March 
And now they're far wealthier at 18 than I ever was at 40. And so I, I'm really looking at this and going, all right, ha- has the game changed? Like, has I don't think save money is 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 workable. At least for me, it's not workable anymore. I mean, every and this is something that Robert wrote. What is this? 20 years old, this book? Yeah. And I think now we're seeing a lot of this come to light even more, right? And a lot of more people are embracing this. So here's the other part. In this whole pandemic and everything, right? There's been this whole, and, and Robert talks about this idea of Chicken Little and the sky is falling. All right, right? so we're moving to cynicism? We're moving to cynicism, right? Okay. And sorry. So this is uh, number two obstacle in the way is cynicism. Yes. So you, uh, listen, you should read the book. I really, out of, I, I think we've, I think you should read all the books, but I really think you should read this book. I, I think it's super practical. And he talks about, you know, you remember the early pandemic? I remember a lot of resellers that are just like, I'm done. And they started liquidating. Like they started literally liquidating within the first week. And if that was you, uh, you know, hopefully you caught on that after a few days, like it wasn't time to liquidate. It was time to source more. It was time to list more. It was time to raise prices because this has been the last hundred days has been the best hundred days in reselling in my in the entire decade I've been reselling. I mean, I've been reselling for eight years and off and on, but I, I would say all resellers would agree there has never been a greater time to resell. It's been obnoxious. And what ended up happening is there were some that were willing to say, you know what, this is a terrible time, but there's opportunities to make money Instead of being cynics about everything and saying, we need to offload, I'm done reselling, da, da, da. They instead said, we need to ramp it up. And now they're better off than they were ever, ever in their entire reselling career. And, and you know, one of Robert's quotes here, he says, it often takes great courage to not let rumors and talk of doom and gloom affect your doubts and fears. But a savvy investor knows that the seemingly worst of times is actually the best of times to make money. When everyone else is too afraid to act, they pull the trigger and are rewarded. Yeah, and he gives a good example of this. And we talked, we've talked multiple times about the idea that, um, you know, when there's economic downturns or when there's problems, the biggest wealth exchange happens in this country mm-hmm. um, because people are positioned to take advantage of it. And um, you may not have been in a position to take advantage of this one, but there's a good chance that there's going to be more downturn coming. And so try and position yourself. And if you're not for that, like you got to always be look, cause maybe it's, it's not like globally downturn, but maybe in a market, like a specific market. And that's where you react. And he gives a good example of gas prices, right? His friend starts complaining like, Oh my goodness, gas prices are going up. I've got all this information and I'm going to be fill up your tank now. Cause gas prices are going up. And he took that information. He's like, huh? So he did some research. He's like, yeah, sure enough. Oil prices are going up. So he called up his, the person, his broker. And he said, Hey, like, I want to, you know, buy some oil. And so his broker found him an oil company who was, you know, seemed to be undervalued. They seemed like they were going to be growing quickly. And so he bought a ton of, of stock in this oil company. And then when he's driving along with his friends, you know, weeks later, you know, a month later, and he bought the shares for 66 cents a share. They went up to $3 a share in like a month. And his friend is like, I can't believe how gas prices have gone up, you know, another 20 cents. And he's just like smiling, like, yeah, it's good. So you can take that kind of information. Like if gas prices are going up, maybe it's the time to buy oil, right? So in all of those situations, you could say like, okay, there's a water shortage. Okay. Which companies are going to profit from this? There's uh, this crisis or this is going on, or there's, there's excess of this and a, a a shortage of this. So when those things happen, you can kind of position yourself to say, okay, 
what companies can I buy into that are going to profit off of this so that I can profit off it? So I don't feel bad putting more ga- paying more for gas because I just got really, really wealthy because this gas price has gone up. Right. And so- this is really impressive. This just happened. I mean, I in in late March, April, there were people, you know, how no one was driving and there were individuals saying, buy now. There's certain oil companies. And I actually bought into some and others bought into some. And either the, the big thing was selling when you needed to sell, right? But man, like no one was buying. It was so cheap. I mean, I remember one, I remember Spirit Airlines went down to $8.97. $8.97. And that share jumped up to $25 within a month, right? So if you put in 100 shares, you made a dec- decent profit. If you bought 10,000 shares, you made a decent profit. Not, I'm not saying I'm recommending stocks. But there are some people that even though Warren Buffett was saying he actually sold all his stock in in airlines, they still went in and they became profitable, right? They were willing to overcome the cynicism. Now, where we're at now, I don't know. But there's even people were making money off the cruise liners. Like that, I didn't invest in the cruise line. I thought that was a done deal. But they went in and they got out right in time. And now they're able to roll over that money and buy different stocks. Yeah. And before we go into our next one, which is overcoming laziness, I just kind of wanted to say, like, even with that, with like the Warren Buffett, like a lot of people get in their mind something and they get like easily influenced. But Warren Buffett's a really smart guy. And I know this. Oh, 100%. From, I know this from reading his essays and things like that. And and corporate, like like his shareholder meetings. I read a lot of notes from shareholder meetings and things. And he might sell off the vast majority of his airline stocks, right? But he's so smart that he's actually putting that into companies that are even more undervalued. And then what he'll do is he'll buy entire. Yep, that's true. He'll he'll buy um like ETFs and he'll buy companies that own a bunch of airlines. So what he's doing is he's actually shifting ownership to another company that he's buying at the right time because prices went down and he was able to acquire this company for less. So he ends up owning, I'm not saying specifically with airlines, but he's done this in the past. He ends up owning just as much of that industry, but he was able to acquire it at a significant discount because he sold off and then was able to use that money to purchase. So, so you got to be careful, like even following the, the, the masters and things like that, because what you think they're doing isn't necessarily what they're doing. And part of becoming financially literate is learning how to do that yourself, learning how to find ways, how to have your own corporation, how to find ways to, to make sure that you're making as much money and sheltering that money from, from, you know, taxes or whatever it is that you have more money yourself to continue to grow your own empire. Um, and yeah, I, I really love the overcoming laziness. I think this is probably one of the most practical. Um, and he kind of makes this idea that um, a lot of times people are are too busy, he says, to take care of their own wealth. And he even uses an example of like person is so busy that they don't take care of their family and then they lose their family and then they get depressed and then they lose their their job and their wealth. Right. And so part of, you know, realizing that sometimes the most seemingly successful people are the laziest. They're not putting time and energy in the things that they should. Um, And he says um, one of the most common forms of laziness is laziness by staying busy. And even think about that with reselling, like how many times can you say like, I'm look at how many more uh, listings I did. I took, I took 10 times more pictures this week than I did the last week. And I, and that might be a good thing, but maybe you're making yourself really busy and you're not spending that time learning about the stock market or real estate or those things that like, hey, like I have opportunities here, but you know what? I'm going to be lazy and I'm going to stay busy. You know what I mean? And so you you got to be careful. Of you that. can always be busy doing nothing. Or you can be busy doing important things. Well, that's what I mean. Like I know people and I was guilty myself of I saw being busy as a badge of like, look how good I am. 
Mm. Right. And I remember as an administrator, like I was always busy, but it was like, I looked at the my end of the day, like, what did I do today? I did nothing. Mm. I did nothing. And so, yeah, you got to be careful. I mean, even as a reseller now, if keeping busy is growing your business, if you're making profit and things are going well, I would say keep doing it. I wouldn't stop. I mean, even right now, as the resale market continues to go up, I mean, it's been insane. I mean, even even eBay stock since our last podcast has gone up, I think like two bucks a share. Like it's growing. Things are happening. Like it's okay to be busy, but as long as it's profitable, if you're being busy to be busy so you feel like you're doing something, then I think it's the wrong thing to do. All right. So our next, are we ready for overcoming bad habits? Let's do it. All right. So this is, so I always struggle with pain myself. So I, I'm looking for you to explain this a little bit better here. Okay, good. So, and, and I love this because as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, this is totally richest man in Babylon. Oh, it and then is. later on, yeah. he ends up saying <laughs> this idea comes from richest man in Babylon. Um, but he says this, uh, when does your, and this is rich dad talking to him about Porter. He says, when does your dad pay his bills? Rich dad asked the first of the month. I said, does he have anything left over? He asked very little. I said, that's the main reason he struggles. Said rich dad. He has bad habits. Your dad pays everyone else first. He pays himself last, but only if he has anything left over. Now, I think the important thing to realize here is paying yourself the way he's, he's saying this is not, okay, let's say I'm going to use reselling as an example. You got an eBay store and you had a net profit this month of $4,000. Okay. And you need to pull out $2,000 to cover your bills and your expenses and all of that. And the other 2000 goes into capital and you're going to reinvest it, right? Pulling that 2000 out to pay your bills is not what he's saying for paying yourself. What he's saying is pull out the money and let's say you have $2,000 in, in expenses, your mortgage, your car payment, your medical bills, all of those expenses, electricity, food, all of those things. He says, instead of paying that $2,000, if even if that's all you have, maybe you're on a fixed income and you're only getting $2,000 a month, right? Instead of paying all those bills first, put away $200 into assets, build that asset column. Well, now you only have $1,800 left, right? And he goes, well, what if you don't have enough? And he's very clear in this section. He says, I'm not, I, I don't want anybody to be irresponsible. I'm not advocating irresponsibility. He says, but Rich Dad's philosophy was, sure, the government is going to want their taxes, right? The, your mortgage is going to want to come after you if you can't pay them. But the nice thing is when you pay yourself, you're building your asset, you treat yourself like you're a bill, right? I am going to put X amount into building my own assets. Otherwise, you're just paying for everybody else's stuff. Now, was that the same thing that Rich's Man in Babylon was advocating? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's so, the exact same thing. Pay so I'm yourself trying to break first. it down for our listeners. So what we're saying is, uh, let's, like, let's do a different scenario. So let's say, let's do stock market. So right now, right, there's opportunities in the stock market. Right. I mean, it's it just it ebbs and flows. But if you, you're able to find the right stock right now, it's it's pretty easy to buy low. And within a week, I mean, you can cash out or you can hold on whatever you want to do. So if the opportunity. OK, I know you're not a fan of stock market. I'm trying to find another. Let's no, say, I'm a fan of the stock market. Okay, I, I know, but you're not a fan of day trading. No, absolutely not. <laughs> so I know I'm enjoying day trading right now, but I'm not doing too much of it. So. If the opportunity arises to be able to invest that money, knowing that you'll get that return, I mean, there's no hundred percent, but odds are in your favor, not like Hunger Games style, but it's pretty good. Is re is paying yourself saying, Hey, I'm going to invest in that stock. And if I can't cover all my bills, I'm going to find a way to pay those bills. Yeah. And well, that's what he, he ends up like suggesting is he says, uh, one of the, I thought was interesting about this. He says, um, but I replied, how do you do that? He said, it's not how the question is why I said, Richard. Okay. Why motivation said rich dad, 
why do you think, uh, who do you think will complain louder if I don't pay them, me or my creditors? Your creditors will definitely scream louder than you, I said, responding to the obvious. You wouldn't say anything if you didn't pay yourself. And that was the exact point. If I don't say, I have a bill, right? Like, Nobody likes bills, but when you get a car payment, you're like, all right, it's $300 a month for this car. But nobody says like, I have a non-negotiable, I'm going to take X percentage of my, I mean, not nobody, but a few people do this. I'm going to take X percentage of my money and I'm going to invest it in assets, whether it's stock, real estate, bonds, something. And I'm not using that to like pay off things that I owe, like like I'm going to liquidate it if I need to. And in fact, he kind of says like, he doesn't. So he goes this, okay. So now I have pressure, let's say just for ease, $2,000 fixed income. I've got $2,000. That's my expense for the month, right? But I want to pay myself $200. This is going to my assets. This is like my savings growing my own wealth. So you're right. Maybe you're at a place where, okay, you make some money off of it and you can use some of that money to pay and make up that difference. Or he says, well, those people are coming after me. Now I have to find a way to make $200 more, right? That's motivation. I have to go out and side hustle. I got to do something. Got to pay that $200. It's just a tough, it's tough. Okay. But again, so would you, I mean, I know there's people who have to, but would you ever say like, you know what? I'm not paying my car. Like I'm just not gonna pay no, my car. I, I've, I've done it. Like I, I did it during this pandemic. I mean, there was reselling money. It was really good. And so I'm like, I'm going to buy some socks before I pay my bills. And I'm trusting that I'm going to work harder and I'm going to sell more stuff in the next week and things will be good. And it worked out. And I already had savings and I had capital and I wasn't, I think it was easier for me not to stress because I already had something to fall on. Right. The question is, if you don't have something to fall on, does the same principle apply? Yeah. That's where I'm stuck. I, I, I think so. And I think that even goes to the next book we're going to be doing with uh, the total money makeover and, and how to pay off your debt. Because ideally, you've got two options for for kind of uh, dealing with how much money you have, right? Cash flow. Option one is increase income. Option two is decrease expenses. So trying to find a way to do that. Okay, where can, if I need to save $200, can I change my diet? You know, maybe this month I wasn't able to hustle any harder. So instead of eating, you know, th- these meals that I normally eat, I'm going to go to Top Ramen. I'm eating for 10 cents a meal, right? And you find ways to cut money where you can. You know, I guess I don't need Netflix. I guess I don't need this because my bill to myself is non-negotiable in the same way that like if I have to pay rent, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to pay rent. I can't just not pay rent. Well, if you're, treat yourself as the most important bill you have to pay, and when you do that, here's what happens. So you make those sacrifices early, right? You have to work harder, maybe a few months to, to bridge that gap. Maybe you make some sacrifices and you, you have to say, you know what, I guess instead of driving as much, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, not drive or I'm going to walk to local places so I can save on gas or I'm going to eat cheaper food or I'm going to cut Netflix. You, you, you find a way to, to bridge that gap. But then what happens over the months of doing that, you've built an asset column. And he shows this the, the this kind of chart in, in a later part and in an earlier part where wealthy people have income with the income they buy assets. And then with the profit yeah. of the assets, they pay their expenses. I just think I struggle with it because what, the way I understood it was, it's funny because we did that book review and I told you, I was like, yeah, this is great. I And I still think it's great. The Richest Man in Babylon, incredible book. You should read it. Check out our past podcast about it. But I always understood it is that you allocate money in your budget to make sure you pay yourself, right? Like, well, yeah, that's kind of the concept. Is, is but this is different. This is like, this is like you pay, you invest in assets first, and then you worry about your bills second. Well, but but that's when you make a budget, you always do that. Like, let's just say again, you're on a fixed income, and you're dealing with, 
You've got mortgage. You've but got car. But what about if you're in? in oh, hold on, let me finish okay, my thought. All right, all right, all right. So you're on a fixed income. You've got mortgage. You've got your car. You've got all these things. So you do a budget. Okay. You figure it out. If you don't make that money, let's say in a month for whatever reason you had another expense come up, right? You weren't planning on two hundred dollars. One of those things is going to have to suffer, right? Like, okay, like maybe I fall a little bit behind on my car payment. One of those things is going to go, right? Like it, it, it has to. Does this apply if you're fifty k in debt? Again, so if you're fifty k in debt, that's why we're going to do our next book, yeah, right? Well, that's why I'm asking. But doesn't what is what is this first principle? Thousand dollars cash, right? You're paying yourself first. You have to have that thousand dollars safety net. No, agreed, agreed, agreed. But he, his his thing is also like you got to keep the lights on, like the four walls. Yeah, you got to keep your lights on. But but he his like he would say your first thing is cut all of your expenses and get a thousand dollars. True, but you got to. But anyways, we'll talk about it when we get to total money making. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's I'm gonna just, be there's gonna be situations where I just don't want to pedal like advice, like because it's it's a hard place. Like for me now, it's easier for me to have this discussion. Okay, but but when I was you know in my twenties and I had a whole bunch of credit card debt and I had two babies to take care of and I had an entire family and b- paycheck to paycheck, and then at that time saying hey, and maybe because I had it wrong, right? I'm willing to say. Maybe I had it wrong, but at that time to say, Hey, Orlando, why don't you allocate $300 towards putting a down payment on a real estate piece or putting money into the stock market? I would have been like, no, you're crazy. Okay. But same, but the same principle apply of what we're going to talk about with the total money makeover. Eventually you were able to say with the fixed income that I'm on or working harder, you were able to adjust your budget so that you were able to pay those things. Only when I left the nine to five, only when I left it, when I did the nine to five, it was like, how am I going to make more money? Like I, my, my life is devoted to this nine to five, like, unless I did the side hustle, which I started doing. But if I was just doing a nine to five, like if you have just a fixed paycheck to me, it's impossible. Well, and he doesn't advocate that. He says, no, I agree. He advocates, go find a way to make more money. Right. So he is advocating, go get a side hustle if you need to, to bridge that gap. But the same thing applies. Like no matter what your bills are, you, you you're not going to say like, you know what? I'm on a fixed income. I've got all these bills and just make yourself one of those bills and find a way to cut expenses because if you're not paying yourself, if you're not building up your own wealth, you're never going to get ahead. You're never going to get ahead. There's, there's no, no I agree. and one way of doing that is 401k matched with a company, right? This is a good example. So if you're at a company, you're in the nine to five and you're like, you know what? I could use the extra $150 a paycheck. And so or the hundred dollars a paycheck. So I'm not going to do the 401k and I'm not going to get that match from my company what you're really doing is you're losing that money. You're never building any wealth and you're just going paycheck to paycheck. So the same thing, like you just said, you were going paycheck to paycheck, but I can almost guarantee you, cause I was the same way. And I think most people are, if you got a 5% raise at your company for the following year, you'd still be paycheck to paycheck. You'd find a way to spend that 5% in your budget. Instead of saying I, I was making it month to month, I got 5% more. That 5% now is my money and I'm paying myself. That's asset money. I'm sure it was. I mean, I, there was never a year I didn't get a raise, but I, I, I was still, I mean, my life did get better. My standard of living did get better. I mean, I, I, I remember the first time I bought not a brand new car, but I actually bought a car that was like within the decade. Like that was a step up. Right. I remember the first time I bought furniture, that was a step up. I remember the first, you know, moving into a three bedroom condo in San Diego. Like that was like, I'm balling like, right. Because San Diego is like, Anyways, we don't need to get, I just saw a thing about houses in Texas where you can get for 500 K. I'm like, why am I here? Like, why am I here? I pay more a month to live in my condo in San Diego than mortgage would be for that 500 K house in Texas. Anyways, 
I, I just, I, I asked these questions. I knew some of the answers, but I also asked them because I'm sure I'm not the only one with these questions, right? Because it, it, some of you became resellers because you're in a tough place financially, right? I mean, this is the, what pushed you to say, hey, I need to make more income. Yeah, that's good. And before we end uh, chapter seven, there was one more uh, of the obstacles, which is overcoming arrogance. This is really just an easy one. Basically, this is we've talked about this all the time. What I know makes me money. What I don't know loses me money. Every time I've been arrogant, I've lost money because when I'm arrogant, I truly believe in what I don't know is not important. And we've always said like, I mean, we say things like you don't know what you don't know. But the concept behind a phrase like that is you've got to figure out what you don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. You've got to be willing to learn. And so the overcoming arrogance is, you know, even with this conversation, right, like we could have strong opinions, even on like past conversations we had in real estate. But one of the things is you've got to be willing to learn those areas instead of saying, like, this is what I know about money and not learn anything else. Because arrogance is basically saying, I don't need to learn anymore. And the reason we do this level up review is because I'll tell you what, I need to learn a lot more. And I think I know probably a lot more about finance and have more financial literacy than a lot of people my age. I haven't always put it all into practice, which again is, is a problem, but I, I, there's probably, I know a a drop in the bucket of what there is to know. No. And, and you know what? It's, it's interesting because when you're in a certain career, like you don't feel like you need to know other stuff. Like I'll give you an example. You ever want to learn about what happened in the second crusade? I'm here for you. Like I can tell you third crusade. I can tell you about, you know, the spread of the black death in Europe. And I mean, I can tell you all this. If you were to ask me about investing, I know nothing. And I hate saying that out here publicly, but it's because I, I will tell you, I was one of those people that was, I thought I was busy, but actually I was being lazy according to his definition in the sense that, I didn't bother to learn. Now I'm I'm 40, going to be 41 here pretty soon, which is kind of sad. And just now, like I, I'm like a bright-eyed 20-year-old going, this whole world of finance I didn't know about, right? And so I strongly encourage you. And, you know, this is why I don't understand why Gary Vee's like, I don't read books. I just do. Like maybe he just was gifted with being an entrepreneur, right? But I'm telling you, like, you got to read books. I'm sorry. Well, we're going to take a stand. Like, yeah, no, for sure. You, you have, you have no choice. You must read. Yeah. And, 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 and again, like as a teacher, I know there's different modalities. And so like if, if your way of learning is oh, through, yeah, you know, you know, yeah. listening or watching, you know, YouTube videos and lectures or going to a seminar and actually doing some hands-on stuff, like there are other ways to do it. Um, but I would say you're going to get so much out of books because you're literally gleaning the wealth of knowledge from giants that came before us. And, and I've mentioned before on the podcast, I think I know Orlando, I've had this conversation with you. Um, I, I didn't have a lot of really good mentors in my life that taught me certain things, you know, whether it's, you know, even about things like, okay, like going to school or how to live a certain life or how to be a certain way or how to act like this with integrity or how to handle finances. But I've learned that by reading autobiographies or biographies or reading history or reading books from people I admire, I'm like, wow, it's almost as if I'm sitting down with this person and they're telling me all their secrets. It's like this person was like an uncle in my life who taught me, you know, and I didn't start reading those kinds of books until I was out of high school. But yeah, when you read books, because you can read books and and one of the reasons I say books, maybe even over YouTube videos and YouTube obviously is getting more, uh, but you're going to be able to read things from 500 years ago, thousand years ago. Cause there's content that that's like true principles. And they are selected words by that author to provide the most impact. Yeah. 
right? That's why to me, it's different than YouTube. It's different than listen to our podcast. I'm sorry to say that. Like those words were selected for purpose to explain, right? So individuals, Robert Kiyosaki is, hey, this is one of the greatest works of my life. And I'm going to throw all I know into this book. And that's why it's very important. It's like distilled knowledge. And I'm telling you, I didn't, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make a confession here. I only read two books until my junior year in college. I faked book report upon book report. To Kill a Mockingbird, I watched the video. Okay, like, I'm sorry, English teacher, but that's what I did. And here's the thing. I was like, what? There's this whole world of knowledge that I chose to ignore. So us as educators, we're telling you, read books or do Audible. Yeah, very good. All right. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey, everyone. Ever found yourself too busy to list or wanting to scale and not knowing how? Well, we've partnered with a great service called Sellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Sellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Sellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code all in caps, pure hustle 25. That's the numbers two five. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to sawhound.com and subscribe using our promo code pure hustle 25. So Orlando and I are always looking out for tools and programs that can be used in our own reselling to help improve our sales uh, and things that we can share with the community in order to help others. Uh, and we've been lucky enough to partner with two companies here at the same time uh, that we think do just that. So it's kind of interesting because both of these companies are competition. So, uh, you know, but this is a good thing that we're advertising both, I feel, because we are really, really big on letting you make decisions and not saying like, this is the way you should do things because you know, you know, what's best for your model of selling and what you need to be doing. Uh, so we've been able to partner with list perfectly and Vindu. And both of these are programs that can be used to cross list postings on multiple platforms. This is great because we always talk about the importance of being on multiple platforms and not putting all of your eggs into one basket. But one of the barriers to that is the time issue. And the nice thing with List Perfectly and Vindu is it allows you to make one listing that then gets cross-posted to multiple platforms. So you're not having to post things multiple places and spend that time. And in this case, that time saved is money you're making. So both of these companies have a special offer for our listeners if you were to sign up. Um, you need to sign up using the affiliate links that we have in our descriptions or show descriptions in order to get the uh, promotional codes. Uh, so first of all is List Perfectly. They're giving 30% off your first month, which is amazing. And they've got some incredible things that they, they offer. So uh, for instance, your postings go to eBay, they go to Mercari, Depop, Grail, Etsy, Poshmark. There's just so many. You got to check it out. There's almost too many to list here. Um, and so if you sign up, you get 30% off, but you have to use our... our link and then use the code LP30. And then the other one is Vindu. Vindu is very similar. Uh, you're going to get 25% off your first month if you use our affiliate link. You don't have to use a promo code. Just click on the link in the description. Uh, and your, your listings are going to go to eBay. They're going to go to Etsy. They're going to go to Poshmark. They're going to go to Mercari. So this is just a great opportunity for you to save some time, get on multiple platforms, and maybe make some more money. All right, sorry. Let's uh, power through our next section. So chapter eight is a <laughs> good one. Over again, sorry. It, uh, chapter eight is getting started. Um, and he actually breaks down to 10 principles. And we'll just briefly uh, yeah, let's pick give each of one. Or yeah, just say the names of them and then maybe a key concept from each. We won't talk quite as long. Uh, but the first one I know is one you'll really enjoy is find a reason greater than reality, the power of spirit. 
Um, and I kind of took that as like the know your wire, like the motivation behind what you're doing. And I know you're really big on that. So yeah. So I read this and he he mentioned, I tell them that his combination of deep. Okay. Let me f- back up a little bit. He says a reason or a purpose is a combination of wants and don't wants. When people ask me what my reason for wanting to be rich is, I tell them that it is a combination of deep emotional wants and don't wants. All right. So I want to preface this like, Money isn't everything to me, but it is a valuable tool, right? It, it's it's the system of exchange that we have in our society, right, to provide opportunities, right? And the more you have of it, the greater of opportunities you have available to you. And so I'm looking at this and it was great because I, I sat back and I reflected on my own life. And I, I strongly encourage all of you to just do this. Like, think about what are your wants in life, but what are your don't wants? And I truly believe a lot of your don't wants are going to be based on your past, on your upbringing. I mean, because that's what you know. Like I I think about, and I'm be transparent, I think about my parents and I, I love my mom and I love my dad. My dad passed away years ago. But man, we, we grew up in the 80s and 80s were golden, man. Like I remember we went from an apartment down by Fisherman's Wharf, which I mean, it was cool, but it was like tiny. I remember having to, roll out my bed and sleep in the living room. And then like the economy like boomed and, um, you know, we did really well. We bought our first house. We had a wooden paneled station wagon. Like we were balling with that station wagon. Like we were moving on up, but now all that's gone. Like that house in San Francisco that my parents paid 180 K for is worth like, I don't know, two mil right now. Lost it, lost it. And it was a lack of financial literacy. And what I don't want is that like, I don't want, like I, and I I personally don't want my kids to feed off whatever money I end up making. Like I don't want them to get lazy and complacent, but at the same time, what I do want is I want a place that when I'm older, like if kids want to visit grandpa or grandkids want to visit grandpa, like you don't have to worry about me. Like I'll take care of you. I'll spoil your grand. I'll spoil your kids. Like I want to be that, right? And so, think about that because it really motivated me. Like I, I'm, I'm telling myself, okay, I'm gonna make certain changes in my life. Even now, after reading this book, that not, not huge money. Not, not. I'm not gonna make a YouTube video about it. I'm not gonna talk about it on the podcast. But I'm gonna make internal changes to the way I think about things to make sure that those wants and don't wants end up coming to fruition. That's good. That's good. That was a good section. Um, The second one um, was make daily choices, the power of choice. And kind of summarize this whole section was the idea that every day you're making choices, right? I I like to think about it as cost benefit analysis. And he kind of talks about that a little bit. He says, all of us have a choice. I choose to be rich and I make that choice every day. Invest first in education. In reality, the only real asset you have is your mind, the most powerful tool we have dominion over. Each of us has the choice of what we put our brain to use uh, once we're old enough. You can watch TV, read golf magazines, or go to a ceramics class or teach a cl- or a class on financial planning. You choose. Most people simply buy investments rather than first learning in uh, first investing in learning about investing. And so the whole concept of this is, and I love this idea of you always are making a choice every day when you do something. When you go to the movies, you're choosing not to read a book. When you read a book, you're choosing not to spend that time with your family. Like throughout the day, you're always making choices. And when you make a choice there's a cost benefit analysis that goes on. A lot of times we don't think about it. We're not cognitively like thinking about what's happening. And so we don't think about our choices, but every choice you make is also a choice not to do something else, right? When you choose to 
watch Netflix, you're choosing not to spend that time listening to a podcast that might, you know, help you or whatever it is, right? Pure hustle. <laughs> so, um, you're always making choices and your choice is also a choice of not doing the other things. And so the reason why I think that that can become almost overwhelming is like, but, but I want to spend time with my family. So I want to make sure I'm making those choices, but I also want to make sure I'm learning. So I want to make those choices. So the only way you're going to know each day is to actually have, and it goes back to that first one, have a goal in mind. Like you have to have an idea of these are the five things. That's why in past books, we've talked about writing down your goals. If you know, I want to, I want to get physically fit. I want to improve my relationship with my my wife and my son. I want to, and you list like five things. It's like, the, like this is where I, the things I want to accomplish. Then every time you make a choice, you could say, okay, which one of those things am I, is this choice helping? And is it hurting any of them? Instead of just going throughout your day and like, well, did I do anything to help make sure I was more physically fit today? Right? Well, I chose to eat that pizza, which was choosing not to be. So whatever it is, you've, you, you're always making choices. But if you don't have that goal in mind, then you're making choices and you're actually denying yourself the goal that you want to get to. So, uh, yeah, I think that was a really good one. And just, he talks a lot about just being open to learn, willing to, to, um, to, to learn more. And so I guess, uh, we kind of talked about earlier in the podcast with writing the comment section, but I'm just interested to know, like, what's the choice that you are going to make or a choice you've like thought about that you were making and what were the things you were giving up? Maybe it was listing. And so that choice, took away a sourcing opportunity or maybe you're sourcing and that took away some family time, right? So like we got to be thinking about those things. So maybe down in the comments below, like what's a choice you're making to reach your goal and, or are you making choices that are causing you to miss actually reaching the goal you're looking for? And, you know, building on that, he has the next section. I don't know if it's the same one, but he says, when it comes to money, the masses generally have one basic formula. They learn in school and it's this work for money. The predominant formula I see in the world is that every day millions of people get up, go to work, earn money, pay bills, balance checkbooks. They, they buy some mutual funds and go back to work. That is a basic formula or recipe. Mm. And, I, and I think about that and it just is tragic to me. It's so tragic. now. I, and so reading this book made me understand why there's such an anti nine to five on social media, at least within our own community. Like I'm finally understanding it. And I don't, I still don't understand the push against education. I say, maybe because I'm an educator, I think education falls in line with what Robert is talking about here because he talks about like learn new formulas. Like it's, it's crazy to hear him talking about, he went to the seminar to learn how to sell foreclosed homes or he went to this seminar. I'm like, what? Like, why? You're rich. Like, why would you go? Like, why would you pay? And, and you know us, we always talk about courses and be careful, but I'm looking at this and going, I'm arrogant. Like when I was an educator, I would go to seminars all the time. Like I would drop that money. I mean, part of it was like, I wanted to get out of teaching that day. But the other part was like, hey, I want to learn how to reach students more effectively. And now as a reseller, I can tell you in the last two years full time, all I did is eBay open. Yeah, no, it's true. I haven't got anything to learn how to make money. You've got to invest. You've got to invest in your self capital. And that, that even goes with the idea. I've heard this before. Other people... Um, other gurus, I guess you could say, or other <laughs> self-help books have made the comment of like, when you pay yourself first, maybe that that $200 that you're saying, I'm going to pay into assets, maybe you're specifically saying, okay, instead of buying asset that's going to make money, I'm investing in education. I'm going to go to a seminar. I'm going to buy books on this thing that I want to learn about investing, or I want to buy books about, or whatever it is. So you can actually spend that on your mental asset. Like he says, it's the best one you have. Uh, but I think even going back to what you said about education, I think the reason he's, he's very pro-education 
but against the current educational model. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people push back against, like the current college model, the current high school model isn't teaching certain skills. And so people are disillusioned. They become cynical. And so instead they swing the other way of like, I don't need to learn anything. And I think the better approach is to say, actually, I need to learn way more than these programs are teaching. And so maybe I go to those programs or maybe I figure out another way to learn those things, but don't give up on learning because the education system is broke, right? Well, look, look at the way our society is shifting though. Like the president just signed something about hiring people based on skills and not degrees. And I'm like, that is crazy. Like I've never, I've never heard of anything like that in the sense that like you always grow up and like you need this degree and you need this and this and this and do that. And I think people are now recognizing that unless you're in a specialized field, a degree is only going to teach you so much. Not saying don't get a degree. I still, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a guy I know that he, uh, he owns a gym and he's able to do more with that gym because he has, I, I believe he got a degree in business administration. So people take him more seriously when he goes to places because they're like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Da, 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 da. Right. So there is doors that are opened by having that education or having those letters. I can tell you personally that I've I've been able to do better when I ask for loans or when I ask for certain, you know, business things because they look and they're like, okay, this guy knows how to finish something. He's educated. So there is there there is a benefit. But man, you're right. There's so much more to learn than what you can just learn in a regular classroom. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, number five of his thing, we've skipped one or two, but um, I th this one was one of my favorites and it goes with that idea of pay yourself first and it says the power of self-discipline is kind of the subtitle there. And he makes a claim, he says, I would venture to say that personal self-discipline is the number one delineating factor between the rich, the poor, and the middle class. And um, I'll remove that word discipline because I know it's a, a hot word for you. It's a trigger oh, word. Talk, yeah. um, but I was thinking about words I can replace it with and even things like diligence or commitment, right? Like, I think those are two good words that don't have the same connotations, but like being diligent, like that's the thing of, of basically saying like, I'm going to stick to this or being committed to the thing that you know is right. And specifically for him in this, it's paying yourself first. And he kind of goes back to, to what you said earlier with, um, you know, kind of pushing back, you know, people might push back against like, well, what if I got bills to pay? How do I pay myself first? And he kind of addresses that a little bit and he gives more in depth, but kind of the quote is, now I can hear the howls of those of you who sincerely believe in paying for your bills first. And I, I can hear all of the responsible people who pay their bills on time. I'm not saying be irresponsible and not pay your bills. All I am saying is do what the book says, which is pay yourself first. So he's not, the idea is don't not pay your bills, find a way to pay your bills, but also pay yourself and, and make it a non-negotiable. Like your car payment is a non-negotiable. So, so should your, your, your own learning and development or your own asset column, like that should be just as non-negotiable and you've got to do whatever it takes to make that work. Um, so I think I really like that idea. And the idea, it says, um, and, and again, he talks about Richest Man in Babylon. And he says, Richest Man in Babylon was all about the power of self-discipline and the power of internal fortitude. And I like that concept too, internal fortitude of just like, this is the thing that I've got to do. I mean, I, I've been facing this a lot recently. Um, I kind of had like a little bit of a, like a lull the last week because just, you know, some, some personal stuff uh, and health issues and whatever. But um, I've been pretty dedicated. And I think dedicated is another word that can kind of replace discipline in my fitness and like getting up early. And let me tell you, like I've, I've probably eight weeks straight, I haven't missed any workouts. I've been, I've been going to my own little personal gym that I made, working out for an hour, like five times, five to six times a week. And there, I, still, I would say 99% of the time when that, that alarm goes off, I'm like, I don't want to do it. I just want to hit the snooze. 
maybe hit the snooze one time. Then I'm like, man, that was, I shouldn't have hit the snooze. I already kind of feel like I failed a little bit. And I get up and I drag myself out of the bed and I splash some water on my face and I drag myself up to my weightlifting platform and I hate it uh, until I start lifting. And then I'm like, this was a good decision. And then the rest of the day, I feel good. And that's internal fortitude. That's saying in the moment, I don't feel like it, but I know it's right. And that kind of discipline if if you carry that kind of discipline in any area of your life, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, financial, you will have success in those areas or your chances of success go up exponentially as opposed to if you just know I should do these things, mm-hmm. but whenever you don't feel like it, you don't. So um, I really, really like that one. And so, yeah. Um, and, and he even said, last one on this, he says, uh, when you come up short, that idea of paying yourself for first, let the present let the pressure build and don't dip into your savings or investment. Use the pressure to inspire your financial genius to come up with new ways of making more money. That takes courage. And then pay your bills. It takes a lot of courage. It but- does. I'm telling you. It's it's not. It's I from a person that's played it safe all his life. I mean, not actually I haven't. I've lost a lot of money too, but it's hard. It's tough. I mean, but I think that's what separates entrepreneurs that are successful and entrepreneurs that try to be entrepreneurs. Right. And I'm I'm beginning to understand more of this entrepreneurship. I've always said I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm an educator who learned how to resell. That's it. Right. Now, this I'm going to jump all the way to eight. Go for it. Okay. I love that story. So I love that story. And my poor son, I'm hoping he never listens to this podcast because you're going to do it to him. I'm going to do it. So here he says, number eight, use assets to buy luxuries, the power of focus. So here, so the story here is that this individual, I think one of Robert's friends was going to buy a car for his son. He had like $3,000 saved up. But, but it was going to come out of his college fund. That was going to come out of his college fund. But then he talks to Robert, I think. And then what ends up happening, he goes, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to give him this money and I want him instead to come up with ways to develop this money and pay back the college fund. Yeah. Specifically investing. He said he bought him a, a yeah. several books about investing and uh, like a Wall Street Journal uh, subscription. Basically like learn about investing, stick $3,000 in the stock market. Once you turn that $3,000 into 6,000, you can get your car and then pay the back the $3,000 loan. I, as well. I read the story. I'm like, this is so good. Now I'm going to brag on my son and he doesn't listen to this podcast, but maybe when he's older, he'll appreciate this. So my son is different than I am. My son, like he doesn't right now know how to work hard, but he knows how to work it. Right. So I'll give you an example. So I remember years ago, like certain things, foods were banned in school. And so he would always smuggle in hostess Twinkies and cupcakes. And that kid made money. That kid, I remember he would say, Hey dad, here's, can you go and buy me some cupcakes at Costco? I'm like, what? Why? He's like, Dad, I'm I'm selling these. Like I, I think we bought them at Costco, and I think it was like fifty cents a piece. And then he was flipping them for like three dollars, mm. right? And this was when he was in in sixth grade, no, fifth grade. And then he got called in the office, and he told you can't do this at school. And then he stopped his business, right? And then I'm bragging on him, but there's a point to all this because in in junior high, he I would always give him hot pockets for lunch. And I always thought he was eating them. And then I find this stack of cash. And I'm like, what, what, what are you, what, why do you have all this cash on you? What he was doing is he would sell his Hot Pockets to individuals. And then kids that came to school with no money, he would loan them money with interest. 
I don't know if you want to call it loan sharking. I don't know what you want to call it. I mean, he's a businessman. He's a businessman. And then I'll never forget. He pulled out, you know, one of those old school, like no pads. Right. And he had like everybody and how much money and da da da. And I'm like, I'm impressed. So I, anyways, I say all this because I'm like, I think my son can do this. Mm. Like this whole time I've been like, Hey, I got you, son. I'll take care of you. But I'm like, no, I want you. And I haven't told him this. I'm not, I'm going to wait till he's 15. And then when he's 15, I'm going to be like, son, you got a year. Here's some money. Cause he's, I've always told him like, I'll teach you how to do eBay. And he's like, you know how it is with kids. Like they don't want to do what their parents do. So I want to see where he goes with this. Yeah, I think it's good. And what I loved most about this story, hopefully I'm not like still in any of thunder. No, it's, no, there is no thunder. Okay. Let's see if there's thunder later on. So um, the, the part I love most about this is as he's telling the story to Robert, um, he's basically saying like, my son was up quite a bit of money. He was really interested. And then he lost a bunch of money. So he ended up losing 2000 So we only had $1,000 left. Yeah. But he said his interest level is way up. He was, he was actually like reading more books, checking out more books, reading more articles, reading the newspaper every day to try and figure out which stocks. And he says this. So Robert asks us, what happens if he loses all the money? He says, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I'd rather have him lose everything now than wait till he's our age to risk losing everything. Hundred percent. And then he says this. And besides, that is the best $3,000 I've ever spent on his education. What he is learning will serve him for life. And he seems to have gained a new respect for the power of money. Now think about this. That $3,000 that he kind of loaned his son to, to use his capital to get money to buy a car. That $3,000 was money that was going to go to college. He's essentially saying this $3,000 is probably teaching him a better lesson and actually getting him motivated and learning about the power of money. $3,000 would never buy you at college. Like that's what, like a couple of, of, of college books and maybe, you know, one credit, you know, of like a, an English or a math class. Like this $3,000 is actually going for his education. Mike, I, I can't even tell you how like inspiring the story is. I went to college and I worked for four twenty-five an hour setting up for assemblies and taking down for assemblies. And the school got 50% of that cut. What? Like I should have been doing eBay. I should have been doing stock market. I should have been doing this. Like I want my son to learn these skills. I, I and, and and man, when you're 18, you're good. You can take these risks. Oh yeah. I mean, you could, I mean, I can still take these risks at 40, but it's a little different. Yeah. It's definitely different. It's a little different. Yeah. It's definitely different. A lot yeah. of different. You, you, you've got, and I just think again, like if you can teach your kids young, um, that instead of buying, cause I just think of the things I bought, like, all right, going to get an Xbox. I'm going to get ooh, a flat screen plasma TV. And I'm going to get, and I bought all of these things. Like every time I got a paycheck, I was like, oh, I'm going to put new speakers in my car. And I'm going to, and all of that stuff, like it doesn't matter Bro, if, I'd have, if I'd have used that money for other things. But, um, it, yeah, so like a lesson like that is so good, but even just thinking for yourself, right? Like I've mentioned before, like, okay, $500. I feel like for me, at least in my business right now is like a good, like, I'm going to try a niche. It's like, I'm going to buy this pallet or I'm going to buy this box or I'm going to buy some items and I don't know if it's going to sell. And I did some research, but like, I know I could probably at least break even on this. And if I don't break even, like I'll have learned a lesson, but I could make a bunch of money. So like $500 is a good number for me on that. But just to think like that can go for even like the stock market. All right, I've got $500. I'm going to spend $200 of that and I'm going to buy a bunch of books and like take like a, like an online course about investing. And then the other 300, I'm going to invest, right? Like, what are you going to lose other than the fact that like you've now learned a ton about a new thing? And we keep saying stocks because it's just, 
as far as like the idea of assets, it's just an easy one to think about um, because real estate is a lot, it's, it's bigger, you know, it's definitely riskier. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of different types of assets. Maybe it's intellectual property, maybe it's starting a YouTube channel. There's a it's lot of things a mind you can do. Shift. It's a mind shift. I mean, I, I, I'm relating with you. When I was 16, I had my Cadillac and I wanted to get a sound system in. And I just did the math right now while you're talking. So I was working at KFC for four twenty-five an hour. Four twenty-five an hour. That was minimum wage. Everybody talking about fifteen dollar minimum wage. Imagine fifteen. We'd be rich at sixteen back then. Yeah. Well, back then for you is different than back then for me. Ten years removed. But I worked a hundred and ninety-eight point eight two hours. That's a lot of time. That's more than a month. I worked. Where if I just learned how to resell, if I just learned how to do stocks, now granted, 1996, I don't know if those options were there. Oh, they were, they were there for sure. But here's, yeah, but but not not how it is now. Maybe, but but even stocks or or real estate would actually probably would have been easier then. Yeah, but right? how do you tap that? Right, right. Like right now, you could tap into that pretty easy. You get an app. You get onto Robinhood. You get onto eBay, Mercari, but that's the thing. That, Poshmark. Well, that that's the thing though with with the idea of financial literacy. Like, had you had a couple people in your life, or had you picked up a Warren Buffett book? It's possible. Yeah, it's, it's or, way possible. Or I just figured out how to just do good old, you know, buying and selling at that time. I mean, it could have been. But here's another thing to think too: um, money doubles. I think the the general rule of thumb. Oh, like, okay, I see where you're going. With the this. general rule of thumb is like even with safe investments, assuming like seven percent annual interest of like you know ETFs or bonds or stocks or whatever, seven percent, six to seven percent, like money doubles every seven to ten years, right? So if you put a thousand dollars in thirty years ago, it doubled to two thousand. It doubled to six thousand. So say if it's doubling every seven years, so in fourteen years it's doubled twice. To stop. Right. So a thousand goes to two thousand goes to four thousand. Right. Doubles again. Now you're eight, 16, 32, 64, right? Like you, you could have turned a thousand dollars by this point. You'd, you'd be at like $64,000 just from that one investment. Yeah. Right. And who knows where that would have gone? I mean, that's, and I'm being ultra transparent on this podcast because I know I'm not the only one with this old school thinking. No, for sure. And before we leave this section, because there's a couple other ones, and I think they're really good. You should definitely pick up the book. Um, this one, the title of it and the concept of it, um, you know, it, you might consider it, uh, now culturally, you know, it's, it's a, an interesting title, but he be, says, yeah. be an Indian giver. He says the power of getting something for nothing. And, and the point he was making with that, he kind of gives the historical, or at least the way he presents it is there was a cultural difference between, um, the native Americans, um, and then the, the, the European settlers who came over when they were making trades, it was just, they had a different understanding. So, um, for at least according to this, um, there was more of like, a, I'm letting you borrow this. Whereas the Europeans assumed like you are giving this to me as a gift. And so it was just like a misunderstanding of cultures. Yeah, I, that I wish, I wish Robert Kiyosaki, I mean, I know he wrote this book 20 years ago, but I wish he had worded it differently. Oh no, for sure. I mean, but, but the key, the key difference, I'll make it simpler in historical terms. So when, when the sellers purchase land, they believe they're buying private property. That was the understanding where Native Americans saw it as you're buying use of the land and the land is still ours. And then, th th hence, that's why that derogatory, uh, derog derogatory term Indian giver came from, right? So I, I would have used the different terminology, but I get it. Yeah. Well, and again, he even, I, I think given this was 20 years ago and the fact that he even says like, he, he's just saying that it was a cultural misunderstanding. So he's not like saying like, 
they were bad for that. They're basically saying like they just didn't understand each other's cultures. Correct. Um, but he says this, like he gives an example of what this means. So what does that mean practically? Um, he uses an example. He says he does this with stocks. He says he'll move money in for a week to a month while the stock moves up. Right. And he even goes on another point to say like, uh, or maybe it's this one. Yeah. In this section, he says out of 10 investments, one or two of them are home runs. Five to six of them do nothing and maybe two or three lose. But mm-hmm. based off the home runs, he ends up winning. But this is the the concept. And I think it's genius. The idea of like getting something but not having to pay anything for it. Because I'll move money in for a week uh, to a month while stocks move up. Then I'll pull out my initial dollar amount to stop worrying about the fluctuations of the market because my initial money is back and ready to work on another asset. So let's just use $1,000. You throw $1,000 into a stock. You think it's going to go up. It goes up 5%, right? It goes up 5% in you know uh, a week. You pull that money out. You pull that thousand dollars out. That's what fifty bucks. You've got fifty dollars in that account of that of shares that you didn't have to pay for. Then you put that thousand dollars into something else, and you put that thousand. Mm-hmm. And you're just constantly, according to this idea, and he's not saying this is the only way, but this is a way. And then it's now you are literally owning pieces of this company, and you've got your thousand dollars back, right? Like so, you're not worried. Like if this crashes, it's like oh my fifty dollars crashed. Let's say it goes up ten percent, right? You got a hundred dollars. You put $1,000 in, you got $100 in this, you pull your $1,000 back out. It's almost as if this company said, here, take $100 worth of my company for free, right? So when you do that, and then he, at another point, talks about stop loss um, or, or stop orders. And this is maybe a way of thinking because some people think, and again, this is not in like, this is how to invest type of podcast because there are people way better qualified for that. Um, but you can, let's say you put $1,000 into a, a company and you say, I you know, I'm going to pull out, hopefully if this makes money in the next week or two, but I'm going to put a, 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 a stop order on here and sell order. So if this drops 3% of what my initial was, I pull out. So you, you're think you're not really gambling a thousand dollars. You're gambling $30, mm-hmm. right? That's all you're gambling. You're saying if this goes down 3%, I sell, I lost 30 bucks, right? Like people go to a, a casino and put $30 on one or two hands of a card game, you know, like it's yeah. nothing, but let's say it goes up 10%. You made a hundred bucks, you pull your thousand dollars out you got that hundred dollars that as long as that, if that company goes up another 10, 20%, you're still making money on it. And if it literally would have to go to zero for you to lose money or, or to break even, right? So you're not actually, when you are doing that and you put a stop order, I have stop orders on a lot of my stocks. So what you're saying is if it ever drops below this, it sells automatically. I don't even have to go on. Like, what if it crashes? What if it, what if it drops 30% over a day and I wasn't paying attention? Well, the moment it gets to that four or 5% or whatever you set that limit at, it sells. And you just get a notification. Hey, your stock's sold. All right. Well, I lost 40 bucks. That's not as bad as, oh my gosh, I lost almost everything overnight. You know, so Mm -hmm. you've got to change your perspective. Some people think when they're investing that they're investing all thousand dollars and they could lose it all. Well, you could if you're really, really being foolish. But if you did the time to study and like, hey, I can actually put things that will stop it. And if it, let's say it gains 10% automatically sells, you can just kind of set it and forget it. And you're really only gambling. I might lose 30 bucks or I might gain a hundred bucks. Those are my two options. Or I can sell any point in between, but like either I'm going to make a hundred or somewhere in between, or I'm going to lose 30, but I'm not going to lose a thousand dollars. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah. I just wonder, I I just wonder if he's like, I don't know if he, he kind of left it like you could do stops, but that means you're fearful. No, he absolutely. Yeah. No, he absolutely says to do stops that you'd have to be. I feel like if you're, especially if you're going to a small cap company, yeah. Most people, the reason why a lot of people fail at stocks, and I've learned this through like watching Warren Buffett and all of those things, is a lot of people hold on too long for losses and um, mm-hmm. and they they sell too early. 
that's the the general people's fear. They're like, they see their stock goes down. I've lost 5%. Oh my gosh, I hope this goes back up so they don't sell at 5%. And then it goes down 7%. Oh yeah. You oh, got, you got and they keep holding, they keep holding, yeah, they keep holding. True. Whereas the the smartest investors actually have their their tolerance for loss. Oh man, I lost 2%. I'm going to sell it. And maybe I'll buy back into it. Like if it, if it drops another 4%, I'm like, huh, no, it's undervalued. You spend that money back and you actually are buying it at a premium. Like you're getting a better value. Even though you t- took out and you lost 2%, it goes down another 3%. You use that money and you buy back in and you put another 2% loss. Now, if it does go up, right, you were hoping like, I really do think this is going to go up 7% over the next month or whatever your thought is. If it goes up, you actually bought it cheaper because you had a stop loss. It's you got there. If it keeps going down more and you're like, ooh, now's the time to buy it again, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't hold on to losses. You you cut your losses early and and you let your your gains go longer before you pull out. A lot of people will you know, they pull out too early. So yeah, if you do that where you pull your initial out, then you can just let the rest of it just keep going. And by the way, none of this is any financial advice. We're just sharing this for educational and our experiential process. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, before we move on to, are you ready to move on to the next chapter and some final thoughts? Hey, if you're not following us on social media, we strongly encourage you to do so. We'd love to interact with you in the DMs or the comments. Uh, We are Pure as a Podcast on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. I gave Instagram the last. But anyways, we love everybody all across the board. And we're also Pure Cast on Twitter. You're always welcome to give us a call. 619-738-1170. That's 619-738-1170. Or you can shoot us an email at Podcast at gmail.com. That's Podcast at gmail.com. And as always, if you're listening to the podcast, you ever want to catch us on a YouTube, and sometimes we do drop videos. Mike just dropped one about his garage sale finds. We are Pierce of Podcasts on YouTube. Make sure to hit that subscribe and that bell button. And as always, we are grateful for all of you that share your experience with us on the iTunes review. We're like at 303, maybe 305 by now. So we appreciate all the reviews. Great way to help us. And we're always grateful for individuals that donate to our podcast. I just want to, somebody just dropped some money for us and just said, I appreciate all the information you guys give out. Keep it up. And I'm like, wow, like who would have thought, right? I mean, again, we're just grateful that people tune in. And, you know, some of you have bought shirts recently from us. We appreciate that because it allows Mike and I time to devote more to the podcast. I mean, that's our dream. Well, my dream. I don't know. Mike, Mike, Mike still loves being you know, an educator, I'm still an educator, but I'd love to do more of this podcast. I mean, if we could do multiple days, it'd be awesome, but we're not there yet. But anyways, it helps us to provide more content. And uh, thank you. Thank you to all of you. Appreciate you. Yeah. So, all right. Now chapter nine and final thoughts. So chapter nine was a lot about dues. Like, you know, he just gave some practical things. He talked about one, you know, Jock through neighborhoods and see some houses that you can maybe buy or properties that you can buy uh, to invest in. Or, you know, he talked about bulk buys, like whenever you need stuff for your business, you can go in with other people and you can make bulk buys. Any any other thoughts? I I had a lot to share about the final thoughts. Yeah, I actually don't have tons to share about the final thoughts. Maybe a couple things. But um, yeah, the two that kind of stood out to me here was um, I liked what he said. Find someone who has done what you want to do. Um, really I, I've said before, and I've, I've stolen this from somebody, I'm sure it's like in six books and like hundred people have said this, but like the idea of like, you are the average of like the five people you hang out with oh, the most. 100%. Right. Um, and so you'd be surprised. And he actually argues at another place, um, in the book that, uh, find wealthy, successful people and become friends with them. And he kind of mentions like insider trading and he's all, there's legal and illegal 
way of that, right? Like when you're around really wealthy people and, and my wife worked for some very, very wealthy people for a long time uh, as like a nanny. And then she helped them with the business they had. And like, I would occasionally get a chance to like go over to like their barbecues and things. And the people that they had was like, oh, this person owns this company and this person owns this and this person. And I'm just seeing and listening to their conversations. Like if you can get in the inner circle of something like that, get some friends who have done the things that you'd like to aspire to and you'll glean knowledge and information that is going to help you become successful. And the other one was make lots of offers. And this goes right to the idea of oh, reselling. Yeah. He basically is just saying, you know, one of the best things you could do is just make an offer, make a super low offer on something. And, you know, the worst thing they're going to do is say no. And they're going to, you know, he says most people try and sell things for more than they know they're actually going to get. So, you know, he'll go on 50% on a house, right? Like you want a hundred thousand, I'll give you 50. And maybe they come back and they're like, no way, but this has been up for three months and I got to get rid of it. I'll take 75. Right. And he's like, oh, sweet. Like I would have given you 80. Um, so that just goes right with what we talk about all the time with reselling is don't be afraid to make offers. And again, obviously, you know, let them give the first number and certain things. But when it comes to like buying a house, don't just say like, hey, they're asking for 400,000 going with a crazy low offer. The worst thing they're going to do is say no and they're going to counter. And then you never know, you might be surprised. And they're like, I've got to get out of this house. Like in the next week, I will take whatever offer. And so don't be afraid. And he says the game of buying and selling is fun. Keep that in mind. It's fun and only a game. Make offers. Some might say yes. And he even says like, he'll say he's got a business partner. He'll make a contingency. Like I, I offered to pay oh, this yeah. amount for a house so uh, contingent upon my business partner agreeing to uh, the deal. and. He goes, then if I, I, they accept my offer, but I actually decided like, you know what? You know, I just wanted to see if that would, would work. And I don't actually want to purchase this house or this property at this price. He'll come back and say, sorry, my business partner says no. And his business partner, he says, is my cat. Yeah. He's yeah. going to talk to his cat. You know, so I don't, I don't know. How'd you feel about it? Are you okay with that? Yeah. Because I, I like the idea of, I mean, okay, maybe that's a little much, but I think contingencies that offer you an out. And I, when I bought my first house, it was like that. Um, my, I had a pretty good real estate agent and he basically threw in a bunch of contingencies um, you know, some of it is like based off the bank fixing this and the bank fixing that. But then also there were things in there like if if this doesn't happen or if I notice this within this amount of time frame, I could pull out of the deal with no. And because that was part of the offer that I made and the bank accepted it, I had a ton of leeway. If it was like later on, I'm like, you know what? This road is too loud and I've come by a couple more times. I don't want it. And because enough contingencies were in there, I could back out and I wasn't going to lose anything. So um, it, it's good to make offers with contingencies. I mean, you do that when you go to a garage sale. Uh, will you take, they say they want 50 and you're like, will you do 20? And they're like, yeah, I'll do 20. And you might be like, ah, you know what? I don't think it's worth 20. I either walk away or you say 15. If they say, no, you said 20. I mean, you're not like obligated by law to pay them 20. So um, you can change your mind if you look it up and like, ooh, actually this has a stain on it. You know, so you have, you have that wiggle room. So I thought it was good. All right. So I don't, I don't have much to share about that chapter, but I will say the last chapter I thought was, I thought he ended it well. You know, most books, every book we've read, I think I would say only half of them ended well. Like it was kind of like you got the crux of the book in the first two chapters and then it just repeated. Right. I think this one, I think it was very encouraging. He shares a story about his friend who was trying to figure out a way to pay his son's college. Right. And he was saving up money, but he only had like 12K. And then he, they recognized that, you know, in the Phoenix, Arizona real estate market, like there was lots of opportunities. So they figured out a way to use that money to buy that property. And in time, he'd be able to pay off his kid's college. And it worked out. Right. But it took him thinking outside of the box. It took him being willing to make that offer. And, you know, again, these are all risks. Right. He also had to be 
willing to risk losing that money, which to me, it's still hard. I mean, even reading this, it's hard. When we get into total money makeover, like it, it, it doesn't say don't do these things, but it, it really programs you like this is the only way to do it. Right? Well, a lot of that is based off the idea that this book, I think, assumes and maybe a weakness of this book is assuming that you're not already $100,000 in consumer debt, you know, which total money makeover kind of is addressing the fact that you're probably really far in debt and don't know what to do. Right. And yeah, so that's true. I think I think the proper order is probably if you're in debt, go total total money makeover, then go rich dad poor dad. I agree. I agree. I think that's safe. Cause <laughs> if somebody were to come to me, because I've had I've actually donated total, total money makeover to a bunch of people. Like I bought a bunch of books and I just said, I I, you know, actually when I was a vice principal, I don't know if I should have done this, but I'd bring people and I'm like, hey, listen, I I I hear you over the lunch tables. I think you're struggling. Like, let me tell you something that changed my life. And I'd bring out the book. I'm like, this is yours. You're like evangelizing for. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. It was. And I'd be like, come back to me in six months. I want to hear if you actually were able to implement this. And you know, the sad thing about it was I didn't have many come back. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is a lot of people either won't do it Even or will read it, it and, true. and not use it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, 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 I think that's really the real reason Orlando wanted to start this podcast is he wanted to proselytize uh, for Total Money Makeover. And we, he's just been like building credibility <laughs> yeah, and now go. he's going to drop the hammer. Well, I don't know if I built any credibility in my transparency in this book review. I'll be real. But here's what I liked. He says, Money is only an idea. If you want more money, simply change your thinking. Every self-made person started small with an idea and then turned into something big. The same applies to investing. It only takes a few dollars to start and grow into something big. So a lot of these ideas seem really big, right? I mean, even Grant Cardone's 10X is like, I mean, we talked about, could we 10X or is 3X okay? Like, you know, where, where can we land with this? Because, you know, I now that you know I have savings and I have capital and I'm doing better, like it's easier for me to implement rich dad poor dad, right? You talk to Orlando who wasn't even full time two three years ago, I I would have been like yeah I, I don't know like I just want to make sure that you know I'm able to pay the bills right. So then he says. I meet so many people who spend their life chasing the big deal. Right. And you see a lot of that in social media. Right. I mean, in, in our, in our community, everybody's always chasing. Not every, And I say everybody in generalities, I'm not saying everybody, but generally everybody's always chasing or trying to amass a lot of money to get into a big deal. But that to me is foolish. Too often I've seen unsophisticated investors put their large nest egg into one deal and lose most of it rapidly. They may have been good workers, but they were not good investors. Education and wisdom about money are important. Start early, buy a book, go to a seminar, practice, start small. I turned $5,000 cash into $1 million asset, producing $5,000 a month cash flow in less than six years. Okay, he makes six years seem small, but that's a long time, right? I'm only into you. Year three of being a full-time reseller. And now I can say, I, I think I'm finally getting it. Right. I've shared, I shared last time about how I failed and I pulled Mike along the way in failing and some retail arbitrage. Okay. But I started learning as a kid. I encourage you to learn because it's not that hard. In fact, it's pretty easy once you get the hang of it. And I'm just going to read the rest of it. It says, I think I've made my message clear. It's what's in your head that determines what's in your hands. And it's true. It's a shifting mindset, right? And so I will be real. Like, I, I think until I read this book, I think, I, no, I know 
I was poor dad. I was. I mean, it's, but that's all I knew. Like, I think there was a stage in this country where the only way I truly believe to get ahead as far as like my parents, you know, they were immigrants. They came over, they, you know, they cleaned floors, even though they're college educated, they could only do so much. They had to go to school all over again, but they were able to make it, but they made it because they were hard workers. And I enjoyed a, a pretty nice life when I was a kid, as far as financially, like we weren't, we weren't struggling, but now like it's a whole different world. Like, there is no investments. There is no house. It's all gone. And it's because of, unfortunately, like there was only one way to do things. And I only learned that one way. I only learned how to be a poor dad. And I'm hoping when we revisit a year from now where we're at and we have these, you know, we always have these episodes about like, where are we now? <laughs> that I've actually tapped into be more of a rich dad and that rich dad philosophy and things will be different. Agree. Good. We're ready to close this out. Close it out. All right. And with that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling. Please. Please.